the Russian podcast. And he said, well, the plumber's coming in the morning. Today, we're talking about the movie, The Death of Stalin. Hi, everyone. We have a very special guest today, Eleanor, the host of the podcast, The Good Film Hunting, is joining us. And as Ryan said, we're going to be talking about the movie that was released in 2017, The Death of Stalin. Uh, what do you guys think about the movie? I was a huge fan. I was not expecting it to be as comical as it was, personally. And it, it was also historical in a sense of, like, you're learning um, about the nation, but you're not learning so much about the man, right? So it's, it's fictitious, but it's, it's based around a true narrative. But you weren't expecting it to be funny? I was expecting it to be a drama history with a little bit of comedy, like, peppered in it. Mm. But really, the whole thing centered around some sort of comedy. Like a dramedy that you see on Netflix when it's like, oh, it's a comedy, but it's really not that funny. You know, it's okay. kind of funny in a sad way. But here, I mean, it was really funny throughout. It was very, very funny. I found it very yeah. enjoyable. Are you familiar with Veep, though? Or was it... Oh, okay. Mm, nope. So for you, not going in, not knowing that the director, his whole emphasis is like a seriousness, throwing light on the... Throwing shade on the seriousness of yeah, so people's self-importance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> Arguably. So this movie is by Armando Iannucci who was a writer on Veep for four seasons. Showrunner. Showrunner. So he created it. Oh, okay. And it's more of an adaptation out of the show that he did in his native uh, Mm -hmm. UK. Oh, okay. Yeah, we do not watch the Veep, so we were going to see this movie without really having any familiarity with uh, Iannucci at all. So you were drawn to this movie just by the title, The Death of Stalin, and you're like, I'm Russian and I need this in (laughs) my life? Yes, (laughs) And I, we went to Lemily, and okay. every single person in the audience was a Russian speaker. So, you <laughs> or know, or fifty-five and older. Yeah. So I thought that most people who were drawn to this movie were had some interest in Russia, and but I guess another audience for this movie was probably people who are big fans of Veep or Iannucci and his previous work before Veep. Mm-hmm. But this movie was actually based on a graphic novel, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, but apparently I listened to an interview with the Radio Hour and Iannucci, and he was talking about after VP decided to do a movie about a dictator, but fictional dictator. But as he was reading about different dictators, including Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, he came across this uh, comic, and he was like, this is perfect, this is so ridiculous, this is so absurd. That oh, so he stumbled upon the... Yes, exactly. As he was thinking about making a movie about a fictional dictator. And once he read through it, he thought that it was perfect because it was so ridiculous and comical. And the com- I read through the book, uh, through the beginning of the book, and it does begin with a concert and the pianist, um, you know, sleeping a note and this whole chaos of Stalin requesting the recording and they having to replay the symphony so all of that 
is actually from uh, the comic book directly. It was pretty loosely based on it. Like, he didn't have trouble with the time, calling back in 17 minutes. You know, he didn't have trouble with the number. Um, there was a couple oddities in there as well that weren't oh, yeah. quite the same, but, yeah, but yeah, yeah. the overall idea was still mm-hmm. the same. Like, instead of picking it up that minute, he was going to have people come over the next day and pick up the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they yeah. definitely made it more... Extreme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your favorite moments in the movie? For me, okay, so I went in having a background history, I guess, both with the history of Stalin, Stalinist Russia, um, from a historical perspective, but also knowing Veep and the style mm-hmm. of comedy coming mm-hmm. into it. So for me, I took an alternate approach where I was, I knew it was going to be a comedy. I loved the first sequence, like loved the first sequence. Yeah. moments and it was hard for me because that was the pinnacle and then it's over <laughs> in the first 10 minutes and then mm-hmm. I was disappointed by most I saw most what I had seen after that but I was also someone who really enjoyed the trailer and nothing makes me more upset when trailers give away too many of the comedic parts um. and I think that happened for this film hmm. but if you didn't want in not knowing it was a comedy and expecting a dramedy mm-hmm. yeah what about you Ryan? I think I like the repetition of comedy, the way that um, he sort of, like, not, I don't want to say he, the, the, the entire project was set up around, like, characters and situations, and they would reiterate the character in different ways over and over and over again, and they would reiterate the situation over and over and over. It's like, the situation, everyone is super paranoid of Stalin, mm-hmm. right? But they, they hit that point multiple times in various different ways. And the same for Jeffrey Tambor, his, his character was super enigmatic very egotistical but like scared he was scared of even himself and that was reiterated over and over again and as he got more power it was more apparent and it was and i think that's what led to my my liking of this movie was it was it was repetition but it was slightly different each time and it it turned into like a character piece that was about comedy mm-hmm. yeah just to give a quick overview of what the movie is about, obviously the title says it, Death of Stalin, but it kind of starts with, in the very beginning we see uh, Stalin uh, dying or, you know, falling over, having a stroke and eventually dying. But then the rest of the movie is really about the power struggle and people trying to come the next leader. And the main uh, roles, the main people in the movie are Beria, who is a chief of secret police, Malinkov, who's played by Tambor, Khrushchev, who's played by Bushimi, and Molotov, played by Michael Palin. So we also see Zhukov, who was the minister of defense. He uh, comes into the movie like halfway through. But basically people who were the closest to Stalin in his administration and how they handle the death of Stalin and how they struggle for power. And we see them handle it to that point. Um, Their paranoia is because they have survived and they're in their positions because of a history of purges. Mm -hmm. And even in the previous year, what was it? He had gotten rid of all of his doctors because they were Jewish and he was like, this is a problem, they're out to kill me. And so then Mm -hmm. he had such poor medical care. Yeah, because he'd gotten rid of so many of the doctors. So yeah. we see the in- the instability in their positions and them jockeying for different positions. Like the transfer of power is so funny. Yes, such a chaos. And with authoritarian regime, 
there is no clear way to determine who will be the next person. And I think part of the comedy comes through that. And I think for me, I don't have like a favorite scene necessarily, but just in general, the comedic approach to showing something tragic. And I think that they didn't make real tragedy funny. So they're not making fun of tragic events that happen to people, but at the same time, they do make fun of sort of inner working of the cabinet, of the administration, and they do sort of make fun of attitudes. So for instance, in the theater, when everyone was leaving and the main person was trying to keep everyone in the audience to re-record it, he said, I promise no one is going to get killed. This is a musical emergency. It sounds absurd, but because of the era where everyone was so afraid of everything, this is a very appropriate sentence and an appropriate thing to say, but it seems so strange and so funny. And then, of course, with as the plot goes on, it is so intertwined with what was happening during that era when everyone was so afraid and you would see like people getting shot. So it, it's the movie doesn't make fun of the tragic events necessarily, but the plot, the funny plot of the movie is intertwined with those tragic events happening parallel. It shows the absurdity more than anything mm, else. Yes. You know, for all of this that we're talking about, like Stalin purging and all these stupid things which he did, he he was kind of correct because Beria, who was his longest aide at this point, was the one who stabbed him in the back the second he fell to the ground, right? Like even Jeffrey Tambor, he didn't take power until they had a crucial meeting with everyone quartered mm -hmm. and then he became leader. So like, he was right. You don't want people who know your inner workings, who know everything. I mean, because mm -hmm. Beria walked in there, grabbed four keys, and changed Stalin's entire plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Stalin was very, very paranoid, especially by the end of his life. Yeah, I don't know if I would say Stalin was correct in his paranoia, but yeah, we do see that people were very ready to backstab immediately after his death. It's the whole idea of, uh, you know the saying, like... It, be nice to those on your way up because you might be meeting them on your way down mm -hmm. and that was not a life motto that Stal Stalin espoused in any <laughs> real sense <laughs> so it makes sense that people would respond and like they'd been living with so much fear and so much uncertainty and wh who was the minister whose wife had been in camp Mol Molotov yeah. and then his wife got returned like yeah. it was just Mm -hmm. So much. The amount of instability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think this movie was shot in 2017? Obviously, so Stalin died in 1953. That was a very long time ago. Uh, are there any ideas on why this movie was made? I mean, obviously, Iannuccia has his own ideas about why he made it, but what do you think is, like, it's an important movie or, you know, relevant movie in this day and age. I think this movie received a lot more critical attention than it would have otherwise had it not been released in the Trump era. And with Russia being constantly in the news in a way it hasn't been really since the early 90s for a multitude, <laughs> a multitude of reasons, yep. many of which are discussed on the Russian pod. <laughs> but so there's this fascination with Russia and it's almost as if Americans are trying to convince themselves that they haven't just not been paying attention for 25 years. <laughs> Don't you have that sense sometimes? They're like, oh, no, we were always paying attention. And I was like, 
There was no one in the United States. There's people taking Russian in the United States in the 70s. It was a very popular language in college. Then you had a dead zone period. Yeah. And then it's on the rise again, with good reason, particularly if students want to go into foreign service and understanding that as a diplomatic presence. Um, so I think there's a newfound fascination with Russia. I was going to say appreciation, and I don't think that's (laughs) the correct term. Um, So I think that's part of the reason it got so popular. And it works in a Trump era because we are more interested in the workings of a dictator of dictators or of authoritarians and that's yeah yeah (laughs) that's on the rise all over Mm -hmm. so this is uh something that we see here but it's also uh, something that's sweeping the world again like Mm -hmm. people people forget i think what it felt like to be under a dictator and that's true in russia too but i think all over the world when they're offered a different system like a democratic system and some of it doesn't work uh, it doesn't work for them and they're disappointed at it they think well what else is out there oh remember stalin things were great under him or you know insert someone else's name who was a dictator because there were certain things on the stalin era that were good you know in terms of you know russia became an industrialized country mm-hmm. production increased so people go back and think that was great and then forget the things that weren't you have international prestige you have this sense that like oh like other countries are intimidated by us and that is mm-hmm. it's reassuring it's reassuring yeah it's sort of the national pride and mm-hmm. i went back to russia maybe that was probably five years ago now and i went to mausoleum where lenin still is on display which is strange i think but also in front of the kremlin there are uh, graves of uh, some of the leaders, Stalin included, and he had the most flowers on his grave, which I found very strange. And this is the first time when I thought, oh my God, people have forgotten what it was like to be living in that era and the horrors and all of the people who were, um, you know, taken away in black cars and never seen again, that there was this rise of his personality again. And in 2017, I was reading an article. It said that Stalin is now regarded as the most successful and the most beloved leader of all times, like not including Putin. So he in Russia or the world in Russia. So Russian people look at Stalin, thinking that was an example of a great leader. Um, and this year, I went back and was at a bar and got in a fight with this guy who is in the early 20s and told me that he wishes that Stalin was their current leader. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Do you not remember from your history class what happened? And he said, well, at least the Russian production and Russian products were up, we were making stuff, the factories were working, we were exporting stuff. And I was like, well, but then your whole family is dead. Because Stalin decided that they're enemies of the people. That, But for him, for this young guy, Stalin is an exemplary leader, and he would like to have him back. It's, I don't have the correct phrase for it, but it's like a mix between a self-fulfilling prophecy and writing your own history books, right? Because Putin and Stalin wrote the history books. They wrote who won the war, how it happened, 
But then you have this self-fulfilling prophecy where, like, you kick out all the doctors, you kick out all the poets, you kick out all the philosophers, and you're left with people who profit under what you're doing, right? Like, you have farmers, you have factory workers, and you have your seasonal workers, whatever. And these people are the ones who are profiting off exports, imports, mm-hmm. and that's who he he's lifting up while yeah. simultaneously casting away millions of people. Yeah. So if you... The, the data is not exactly completely transparent, and we don't know the exact numbers, but it is estimated that during Stalin era, anywhere from 9 to 20 people were killed. 20 million. 20 million people. And that includes about 9 million people who died from man-made starvation in Ukraine when he ordered all of their produce to be taken away, including grain. And so people in the farms were actually just starving to death. And 7 million people died in one year. And if you look at the brackets of the years behind and before it, their average death rate is around 600,000 to 1 million a year. So overall, I think the number, again, like the numbers are kind of vague. But then when it comes to uh, the purge, when people were just taken away from their apartments for being the enemy of the people, and that can be anyone, really, and sent to gulags, died in gulags, or were executed in prisons, you know, altogether that number rises to about, by some estimations, 20 million. And those people were slave laborers at the same time. Yeah, it was uh, labor camps. And for instance, one of the people whose reference in this in this movie is his daughter Svetlana was in love with a guy, Alexei. And she's asking Beria, can I have him back? And Beria says that he was killed. Well, the real story was that when she was 16, she fell in love with Alexei, who was then 38. And they had, I don't know what exactly was going on, whether or not they actually had a relationship, but Stalin was opposed to that relationship. And he sent him to labor camps for 10 years in gulag so in that instance was he an enemy of the people did he do something against the state or was it uh, a trumped up charge to just take him away from his daughter and the thing is uh, he was actually a filmmaker and in 1941 he received a stalin prize and in 1943 when this romance started he was sent away to Gulag uh, for 10 years. But he, unlike in the movie, he was actually alive and was released in 1953 after Stalin died. He came back and resumed his uh, filmmaking career. But that's the way Stalin handled a romance he didn't approve of between his daughter and uh, yeah, a filmmaker. Who he appreciated. Who, who he liked. Who he liked beforehand, yes. Mm-hmm. This is why you need to watch Veeps. Like, you can see how Selena Meyer handles her daughter's partner who she doesn't like. How? Huh? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys really would. You would enjoy Veeps so much. Yeah, I, think I really like Louis. Uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Yeah, she's yeah. really good. I feel like most people went from Veep to being, oh, he made a movie, let's go watch it. And Ryan and I are going to be like, oh, we watched The Death of Stalin and liked it. Let's go watch Veep now. (laughs) As I was watching the movie, I actually realized there are certain things about Stalin's era. Like, I knew from just being in school uh, general things about Stalin era, but in this movie there are so many little details that I kept asking myself, why... Is this true? Did this actually happen? So there are um, a couple of interesting things, such as um, in his 
when he was brought to the Red Square, that was about three days after his body was actually displayed uh, at the Hall of Columns in the House of Unions, so people can come in and look at him, which was portrayed in the movie when people would come in and he was like laying there. Uh, after that, it was brought in a Red Square, and there were tens of thousands of people who actually came to say goodbye. And even though Stalin's reign affected a lot of people in a very negative way, still a lot of people really mourned his death. And one of the interesting things that were shown in the movie is that people who were affected directly, some of them were in jail because of Stalin. They still completely believed in Stalin's mission and how he was approaching it, and they were still devastated by his death. So there were tens of thousands of people uh, who gathered on the Red Square uh, to say goodbye, and about 109 people were trampled to death because the crowd was so huge. And a famous Russian writer, Yevtushenko, he actually died just last year. This is what he said about uh, Stalin's death. A sort of general paralysis came over country. Trained to believe that Stalin was taking care of everyone, people were lost and bewildered without him. The whole Russia wept, so did I. We wept sincerely, with grief, and perhaps also with fear for the future. So, I was surprised to see how many people in this movie were coming to see, say goodbye and how upset they were, but in fact, that is actually what happened. I don't agree. I don't think they were upset. I think they just wanted to make sure 100% that Stalin was dead before they said anything bad about him. Oh. <laughs> and so they had to travel all the way to the Red Square, see his dead body without blinking, and be like, okay, yep, he's a piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just agree with it. I think it's more what you were saying with the whole idea of this consciousness shopping. And if you ever think about... I think about this routinely because I'm obsessed with the royal family. <laughs> but I'm like, I will probably need to take personal time it, should the queen ever die. Should. <laughs> should the queen ever die. And you think about that, like, this is a woman who she has, she was became queen in 1952. So for many people, like, if we think of young people at the time of Stalin's death, like, there were so many people, this was the only memory of a leader they ever had. And so time stops in that sense, where you just don't know what to He make. was a leader for 30 years, right? He came to power in 1922, I believe, wow. and then uh, was in power for 30 years. So you're right, even if you're, you know, if you're 20, 30 years old, this is the only leader you've known. Mm -hmm. So for you, it's an end of an era. This is yeah. all you've known. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're just like shocked into action so yeah you want to see it but it's not this idea that like oh well I'll immediately change my behavior because of it mm -hmm. and um after he was brought to Mussolini where Lenin lays he was there to till 1961 so from 1953 to 1961 he was I'm assuming on display because this is how Mussolini is set up to this day you can come in and look at Lenin but Stalin is no longer there where is Stalin now do you know he is buried in Kremlin, so okay. you can, um, with other leaders, yeah. Okay, but he was not embalmed in the same public way. No, I think he was till 1961, but not anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I love visiting, like, 
dictator's grave. I saw Mao Zedong in Beijing, and I was oh, you like did? super into it. Saw Ho Chi Minh in Hanoi. And I wait. Oh, you have to wait a were, long time to see those. They were closed, and I saw a sign that said that he's in Russia for being like oh, a maintenance like, is being performed on him. That's and I was like, oh, he's visiting his pal. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it was close when I how to look not so dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's... but Lenny just looks like a doll. I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't look like a real person. Mm -hmm. I mean, which I guess if you've been embalmed for so long, almost a hundred years. Yeah, yeah it's mostly how... just makeup. It'll be interesting to revisit this in about two years, two three years, about how the hundredth anniversary is marked. I would assume a military parade. Naturally. <laughs> Do you think Trump will get a mausoleum and will embalm him also? It's no? interesting to think about him and the concept of a presidential library. And I love presidential libraries. Yeah. I would recommend any presidential library to anyone. Like, you go to... So I think this is actually relevant based on the discussion of how we memorialize leaders. Um, and how... In the States, too, like, how we think of our leaders, a lot of times they are so involved in framing their identity, but then also how it's co-opted after the fact, uh -huh. which is very true for this film. It's also interesting to always look at the donors. I went um, to the George W. Bush Library in Dallas, and again, like, fascinating. Dick Cheney has, like, like a picture the size of your forearm. Like, that's, like, all that you'll find about Dick Cheney. Really? In this whole... Uh, museum, which is very rare for most presidential libraries will have a vice presidential like suite. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's interesting about how you reframe it after the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how with totalitarianism in something like, like the Soviet Union, those who follow you get to determine your legacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, it's fascinating. He had no say, he'd spent so much of his life crafting this cult of personality. And then he's the only one who loses it. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of an American a presidency, yeah. in that sense. Right. Yeah. It's very true. I don't think Trump will even have pictures of Mike Pence in his presidential library. Do you think he'll have a library? Oh my god. If he makes it through four years. Just MAGA written. It's going to be like abstract, like MoMA style museum of MAGA. Like, it was just going to be very modern because he doesn't read. And just going to be like big words and like horses. And like heads of shit. You know? It's just going to be the entire collection of here's how you do things for dummies. The art of the deal. It's just going to be his books in the library. Yeah. He wrote. So how did uh, Stalin actually die? So in the movie, we see that he goes to his room and reads a note from the pianist. And the note basically said, you know, you have sinned, you betrayed the country, and then he has a massive stroke. But because no one is allowed to go into his room they don't discover him till morning and then he had a stroke and then he dies not right away but he dies how did he actually die in real life in real life it was similar they assume it was similar again to that point where the medical records were scant and there was this fear surrounding him and he'd gotten rid of most of his long-term physicians yeah. which is never smart when you're in <laughs> aging old man mm -hmm. um so they believe he had a stroke and then he died presumably died from complications of the stroke even there are even though there are questions which are raised in the film about was his death hastened by the fact that people were so 
shocked and so unaware of what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in real life, they also had a delay in getting a doctor. Yeah, they didn't. They, no one actually came in until 3 p.m., I think, the next day. 3 or 5 p.m. the next day. He didn't go to bed till 4 a.m. that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also they didn't call doctors right away. We don't really know exactly, but part of it is probably because of the fear that you can make decisions on your own. You kind of have to make decisions collectively. So blame doesn't come to you specifically. So you can blame it on the collective thinking. Um, and They alluded to that a little bit in the movie. They said um, the only doctors that are left are bad. And he was like, we can't give a bad doctor to Stalin. And then someone else replied and they said, right, but if he comes back to life, then it's a good doctor. Mm -hmm. And if he dies, he then it was know. a bad doctor. <laughs> he won't know. <laughs> yes. Uh, but some also said that Beria potentially poisoned him. Um, that's kind of a conspiracy. We don't know for sure. But in uh, an autobiography, I think Khrushchev said that Beria did have tell him that I did him in. I did him in talking about Stalin. But also Khrushchev and Beria didn't have exactly the best relationship. So it's possible that Khrushchev was just trying to uh, say something about Beria that's not positive. <laughs> Although, what is it about Barry that's positive? Uh, yeah, this movie firmly makes him a villain, even yeah. out of a whole host of villains. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's the worst of them all, for mm -hmm. sure. A biography about Barry. There are very vivid descriptions of how exactly he asked for girls and how he raped them. And he was definitely, apart from, of course, overseeing all of the purges, and expanding the system of gulags and labor camps. He was also like on a very terrible human being to the people around him. Can I go up on Beria for a second yeah. and, do, and do my <laughs> how he died stuff? Yeah. So Beria, he was um, given, I, I want to put air quotes here, trumped up charges on his, <laughs> I mean, they could have, they could have killed him for all the deaths he did to millions of people, but instead he was said to have been treasonous, terroristic, and he was counter-revolutionary. So the treason, uh, he essentially talked to Hitler in 1941 under the order of Stalin to try and make a peace treaty and start dividing up lands for hosts of countries. And then the terrorism was he did a Red Army purge where essentially scapegoats were rounded up in the army, all heads like lieutenant. Everyone who was at the top made a scapegoat and executed. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the counterterrorism comes, or the counterrevolutionary comes from in 1919 when you guys had the Civil War. He essentially sided with the Democratic um, Azerbaijani coalition, mm -hmm. and they just decided that was good enough. You said that they could have executed him for the charges, for the purges that he's done. But the thing is, every single member of the cabinet signed off on deaths mm -hmm. too. So, but they could have made him the scapegoat. Oh, oh, oh. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, see, why not? You've done all these other scapegoats. You've done all these other people who aren't mm -hmm. guilty of things. Why why this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then they shot him and then they burnt him. Yeah. And if, if it brings anyone any sort of solace, he was shot in the exact same way that all of his people killed everybody. He was taken into the basement. He was moved into a room and they shot him in the head. Mm. Yeah. And it, in, in this, in the movie, he didn't really get the trial. So it was just the committee and they kind of voted on it. But in real life, there was a trial in the military tribunal and he was found guilty and then executed. 
and then he was burned in the communal grave, and he is buried somewhere in Moscow. Buried in a Moscow forest, unmarked. Mm-hmm. But publicly, they said that the reason he was executed is because he was a British spy. Mm-hmm. So that was um, like, you know, there is one story for what actually happened and another story that is like internally uh, distributed. And then publicly, when it comes to like newspapers, there is a third story. Another one that is highlighted in this movie is Svetlana, who is the daughter of Stalin, mentions that her mother shot herself. So publicly, it was said that she died from appendicitis. So that's what the public learned. But actually, she shot herself after a fight with Stalin, a public fight with Stalin. But yeah, publicly, she died from appendicitis. And that was sort of the downfall of Stalin, people say. They mentioned that he went into sort of hiding after that. He became reclusive. It really threw him off. He felt empathetic, as if it was his fault that she killed herself. Probably was. was. And then, <laughs> slowly but surely, he killed her entire family. So that's how you deal with grief. Just <laughs> the seven stages of grief. Get rid of all of the memories. Yeah. Oh, anything that could remind you. He bought a self-help book from America, and it's like, get rid of all the memories. He was like... Oh, that sounds good. How to clean out your past. Oh, God. I love how self-help is so American. Like, it's (laughs) honestly among the most American of concepts. But it can be so easily misinterpreted in the hands of dictators, you know? (sighs) Or self-help gurus. Instagram influencers. (laughs) Anyone can ruin the concept of (laughs) self-help. No, but dictators in particular, because they have... There's so many people telling them so many different ways to handle things. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, also, a lot of people say that he had a wonderful voice, and if he wasn't a dictator, he would have been a singer. And that brings me to a point where Hitler wanted to be an artist. It was a fail. Stalin's dad was very harsh, and mother wanted him to be a priest, so he couldn't pursue like what he actually wanted. Trump wanted to be an actor. Did he? Yes. In every deal that he writes for a movie to come to his tower, he says, I have to be in the film. Yeah. That is written into every... If he says, you want to film in my location, I have to be in the movie. So all of those people, you know, if you see someone with some kind of dictatoring abilities or tendencies, just send them to groundlings and this crisis can be averted, you guys. <laughs> no, we need, like a, we need like a dictator segment for groundlings so we know not to hurt the feelings too much but to still progress them into the art field okay well groundlings is just for actors right so like Mm -hmm. it's it has to be just an uh, art school that is for singing and dancing and acting and painting and it can be like art school for dictators have you guys seen the boys from brazil Mm -mm. have you heard of it no No. movie from the 70s it's one of the few movies where gregory peck plays a villain and he plays mengala the nazi doctor Oh. He plays a Mengele-like character who is a neo-Nazi in South America who thinks about how do you craft dictator. So his goal is to genetically engineer like the next Hitler. Mm-hmm. So he, they, they call them the boys from Brazil. So it's like Hitler's genetic makeup. And then they do all these things where they like kill the fathers mm-hmm. at the exact time. And so what? seeing if they could build up yeah, these yeah, yeah. dictators in that way. So, is one of them expelled from an art school? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like tons of stuff like that. It's like, what is it that... Is there a unifying factor mm-hmm. in 
evil. Well, so far it looks like not being able to pursue art is a unifying. Yeah, that my two um, observations are shitty fathers and bad art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Stalin's father was very abusive. And Stalin also actually, uh, he was a sick child. Like he had a couple of things that happened to him uh, that kind of made him, he had like one arm was shorter than the other. He had a lot of scars from smallpox and he was actually like self-conscious in a way and he had a very heavy Georgian accent. He was born in Georgia and raised there and once he moved to, you know, be in the party in Moscow, he still had a very heavy Georgian accent and people said that he was very conscious, self-conscious about it and that's why he didn't really like public speaking. So he was like a very quiet, silent man and he said that he preferred to listen and you, you can learn a lot more from listening than from speaking. You should have tried out singing. You don't have an accent whenever you sing, right? Uh, you don't? Really? Adele doesn't sound British, does he? <laughs> that shit's true. <laughs> now I'm kind of thinking, I'm like singing, yeah. like I set fire to the rain in my head, and I'm like, no, I don't hear it. <laughs> it disappears, I don't know why. Because you start elongating vowels, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons, I have no, no, no idea. Um, another thing I want to talk about is Stalin's daughter, which is appears in this movie. In the end of the movie, Khrushchev gives her a ticket to Vienna and tells her, you need to leave the country. And in fact, she doesn't flee right away, but she does immigrate to the United States in 1967 and becomes a naturalized citizen. Goes back to Russia at some point and becomes a British citizen in 1992. So she did live abroad quite a bit. And she died in Richmond, Wisconsin. So Stalin's That's daughter nuts. spent a lot of time in the United States, which was a, a huge uproar in Russia, the fact that she was defecting to specifically the United States. And the fact that she became a citizen here and eventually died here. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then his son, Vasily, who is portrayed in this movie as well, actually was stripped of his rank after Stalin died, spent some time in prison, and then eventually, I think, died in prison. And his son is um, works in the theater. He's a director. Yeah, he does not have his father's last name. He took his mom's he last took name. his mom's last name, but Stalin was actually not a real name. Uh, Jugashvili was the real last name um, of Stalin. Stalin was kind of like a nickname, which yeah, means like, like the Man, Man of Steel. Steel. Yes, right? exactly. So, Superman. Superman. He's basically Superman. Yeah, Georgian Superman. No one actually had that last name from his family. Jugashvili was the real. Was it a real last name in the sense of like anyone could have the last name Stalin? I thought it was new, but a lot of Russian names and like Ukrainian names, for instance, come from an object. So, like back in the days, you would give a last name based on um, an attribute, profession. profession. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like British last names, like Baker. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smith. So I wouldn't be surprised if Stalin was a real name, but it wouldn't be in Georgia. That's definitely not a Georgian name. It would be mm. maybe like a Ukrainian name. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. But I've, but I don't know for sure if that was an existing name. So death of Stalin. Exteriors were filmed in Moscow, which is interesting. And then which I thought because when I saw there, uh, they're still called Stalin Stalinki. It's like a special apartment type, 
because there was a lack of housing and Stalin had this push for mm -hmm. building apartments. Um, and some of the people, as they were running down the stairs, I was like, I'm recognizing those buildings. They do look like buildings in Russia. So I was wondering about that, if they were actually filmed in Moscow or in Russia. A lot was filmed actually in the Ukraine, which mm -hmm. again makes sense. Yeah. And it's a little bit less having to deal with local film boards who might be uh, apprehensive about yeah. a movie titled Death of Stalin, even sure. in translation. A great majority of it was filmed in the UK, which makes sense based on both the cast and the writer-director. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I was impressed that they were able to even get exterior shots. And, like you were saying, the interior you believe to be a local apartment building. Uh, that were built during Stalin era. Mm -hmm. And that's what was impressive to me, because I was like, that was the exact buildings where people would live in that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that plays into how this movie was received in different areas, of, particularly in the United States. Knowing a little bit about the Soviet Union, but never having been to... Mm -hmm. Russia or Soviet, formerly Soviet countries, um, we always view the architecture to be like very bleak mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. distilled and modern, urbanist in a negative way, <laughs> like very block housing and whatnot. Yep. And we see that here. We see the magnificence of where Stalin resides. Yeah. Um, I think the architecture is called brutalism. I think, the, I think that's the actual Really? Term. Yeah, I think it is. Right. <laughs> wow. Do you know if they... So we've seen a documentary yesterday about Stalin's house where he actually died. And it looks almost exactly the exactly same. Exactly the same. Uh, the green building? Like the, yeah. It looked the exact same. Like the, the, the surrounding, rooms the, and the, everything. The woods around it. The, yeah. The amount of space in between the, the house and the, the wood. It was... So I doubt that they gave permission to shot in that, um, in that actual house. But it looks just like it so they did a really incredible job portraying how his house, house looked like in this mm -hmm. movie and even the lamp um oh, yes. someone like sits down on a couch and was like why is the lamp here but apparently stalin would actually sleep in different beds every night different um, couches different every couches night. every night uh because <laughs> for paranoia for yeah. paranoia yeah even his bodyguards didn't know what bed he would be sleeping in for yes the night. Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like a safe move that's why yeah I, and yeah. that's why <laughs> A lot of those precautions that he took to not be assassinated kind of led mm -hmm. to him not being tended to for so many hours after stroke. Yep. And with a stroke, you have to, that's one of the things for survival. The victim has to be taken to the hospital very urgently. Like the more time passes, the less likely for the person to recover. And he, because he was so paranoid, no one would come in. No one could check on him. He was just laying there after stroke for so many hours that he just couldn't recover after that. Yeah. Um, Permanent brain damage. If yeah. he had survived. Yeah, Russia, like you said, they were not necessarily happy about this movie. Originally, they were, they gave the license, uh, but two days. The quote was, he says, of course this movie will come out. We have freedom of speech in this country. <laughs> Mm, yeah, high hopes, high hopes. But apparently, this is what was funny about interview with Iannucci when he was uh, on the radio hour. He said that they did show it to the press in preparation for the release. And when Stalin fell over in the movie, press were clapping. So that was interesting. I thought. Well. But so anyway, they had a license, and uh, they, it was supposed to come out. But then two days before the release, they 
said no you can't show this movie and one theater in moscow still did and the police officer came in and asked them what are you playing and they did say yes we're playing death of stalin and then they had to stop so one movie theater did try uh they, but, yeah they threatened movie theaters before mm-hmm. they said just because like we've banned it doesn't mean that you can play it like where it's going to be repercussions if a theater puts this on a mm-hmm. on a screen but part of it was that it was an election year so of course uh if there are any notes that can be interpreted as anti-Russia, Putin wouldn't want, or the, the government wouldn't want that movie to be infecting the masses, or however you want to phrase that. Okay, so I hear this, what you're saying about it not being widely shown in theaters, mm-hmm. but I remember in previous discussions we've had how there's actually very minimal, there's mm-hmm. a minimal theater-going culture, cinema-going culture in Russia. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of times people will get their mm-hmm. content either pirated or on DVD. Yeah, so yeah. do you assume... Would you think there was any interest in this film being pirated? Here's well, yes. what Yanucci said. Yes. Yanucci said that by Russia banning the film, it only made it more popular in Russia, and he was going to then talk to the minister in March. This was, I think... 2018? Uh, yeah, this would have been four months after it was banned, because mm-hmm. it came out in November. Mm-hmm. So he said, I was going to go talk in March, and he was hoping that the election year would actually help him get the movie played. Really? That's what he said, yeah. Hmm. Um, well, also, you know, she said that someone tweeted him and showed a picture of them playing the movie on a laptop right underneath Kremlin. <laughs> so, I don't know how many people watch the movie. Yeah, same here. I asked a couple of people who live in Russia, and I said, have you heard about this movie? And they said, yes, we did. It was banned. But they knew about it. Um, so I agree that I think by banning a movie, you might attract some people. But but the government, I think, wants people to know that they don't approve. Because the, here's a couple of quotes, actually. Uh, deputy head of the lower house of the parliament culture committee said, um, ne- I've never seen anything so disgusting in my life. Then the head of Russian military historical society, uh, Department of Information, said that film is despicable. The film is bad, it's boring, and a blackening the memory of our citizens who conquered fascism. And then someone else, uh, the Communist Party, which still exists and is the second second, largest uh, party in the parliament, called it a form of psychological pressure against our country. I just want to interject here and say that two weeks before this movie was banned, Paddington 2, the bear movie, the CGI bear movie, the excellent CGI bear movie was de- <laughs> was was postponed in Russia for two weeks because the state-run movie Going Vertical, which was also having a very young audience, wanted to premiere before Paddington Two, and there was a huge outrage for that movie. What's the movie about? The Going Vertical. Oh, uh, it's about the 1972 Olympics where Russia beat America. It's much like the American... Miracle? Yeah, yeah, the Miracle uh, movie. But this one was about basketball? It was about basketball, yeah. So I love how Russia has a movie about defeating American basketball, and America has a movie about defeating Russian hockey. And the, the two sports that they excel at, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, the one time that we were better. And yeah. if you ask any Russian, because I've asked Lasan this, do you remember the time that America beat Russia in the Olympics in hockey? They will say no. And I can guarantee you that myself, 
being a pretty uh, avid Olympics watcher, had no idea that Russia beat America in 1972, nor that it was any any sort of sense of a big deal. Yeah, no, we... And also, any country wouldn't highlight their loss. All Russians know is that we're good hockey players and that we usually win. Mm -hmm. So the one time that we lost, it's like it's no big deal. We won all of the other times. But go ahead, make movies about that. (laughs) So yeah, the movie was definitely met with a lot of criticism from the government and is still banned in Russia. They they essentially banned this movie by, by saying that the information within it is legally banned in Russia. Legally banned. Like, what does that even mean? Legally banned. Um, What's the information that's banned? Uh, So, like, one thing was the Khrushchev, or the the general, what's his name? Zhukov. Zhukov, yeah. Yeah. The way that he was portrayed as an idiot, the way he was Uh, portrayed as a, not a spy, but a mole, he flipped instantly. mm -hmm. Like, all of that was seen as, like, this is controversial. Yeah. It's illegal. It's legally legal. It's, we are legally allowed to ban it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Zhukov's statue is right, uh, right outside of the Red Square. So he is regarded as one of the heroes of the World War Two, and he led the army in the battle that supposedly kind of turned the tide in in the war. So he is a great Russian hero. So I can see how portraying him, you know, in the in any kind of comic way can upset people. Uh, but that's also true about all of the members of the cabinet because at some points all of them are portrayed as foul-mouthed, sometimes stupid. Like Malenkov, who was a leader after Stalin died, and he's portrayed by Jeffrey Tambor. He was a leader for about two or three years. He was a de facto leader, so he was basically taken out by the council. Like He was pushed to the side by the council by voting. And he remained to be a leader for public, but wasn't really a leader. And then Khrushchev, who's played by Buscemi, came to power three years later. And Malenkov tried to stage a coup against him. And it was unsuccessful. And after that, he was sent into exile. They didn't kill him, surprisingly. The personalities that are portrayed in this movie are not necessarily strong personalities that Russians are trying to portray when they talk about their leaders. I think another reason this movie was banned uh, in Russia is because of Putin and Putin's rise to uh, authority. If you look at the research behind the love of Stalin, you'll actually see sort of a a matching curve between when Putin comes to power and when Stalin starts to become influential and resurgent. So the um, there were 1,600 Russians asked on the street, without prompting any names, who's the most influential person in the world and they answered number one was Stalin number two was Putin and number three I'm going to give you the first name and let's see if the other two people here can get it Alexander the Great nope P- oh Pushkin. Pushkin Pushkin oh god a poet by the, the way Russian soul yeah. <laughs> a poet by the way who was exiled <laughs> put in his mother's house as a form of prison that's funny was, I didn't realize was told that. he can't publish something and get this one of his plays was run censored up until, for the first time, 2007. What? Which play? <sighs> Why was it censored? Or, like, it was probably was the against the Tsar. He wrote quite a bit of things that were mm-hmm. against the Tsar. He was sent... You know, his exiles were interesting. He was sent to, like, Georgia for an exile where he just, like, sort of wandered the woods and went into baths and 
It wasn't really much of a punishment. Actually, same thing happened to Stalin. Stalin was sent into exile to Siberia, but not to like a prison or anything. He was just sent into like um, house arrest. A house arrest, and he was given like monthly stipend. And he regards that time as one of the best of his life. So, I mean, being exiled is not necessarily uh, an equivalent to being in prison or labor camp. It mm -hmm. might be just like a house arrest or staying with your mom for yeah. a while. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it funny that they idolize someone who, with the two people they named first, wouldn't allow that third person to even exist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's interesting how... In this cult of a personality, people forget what bad happened and they only concentrate on like the positive aspects and then completely disregard all of the horrors that came with that cult of personality. So now I'm going to throw a real curveball at you. So Putin one time was asked how he feels about Stalin's reign and, and what he thinks about the terror that Stalin brought, specifically in 1937, which was called the Great Terror. He said, yes, I understand this, but America isn't so great either. They have both bombed Hiroshima and Vietnam, which, in case anyone is trying to remember or recall how they've heard something like this, Trump said the exact same thing about Russia, Yeah. saying Russia's yeah. not all that bad. Look what America's done. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Putin gave a couple of interviews to Roger Stone, and they did Oliver discuss Stone. them. Uh, Oliver Stone. <laughs> uh, Oliver Stone. <laughs> Different. Someone give me Oliver Stone. <laughs> Um, and he did discuss Stalin, and yes, it was kind of an answer of, uh, I disagree, but at the same time, you, you just have to do things for your country, kind of within those lines. How was the movie received here in the United States? It wasn't really received all that well, to be honest, guys. It made uh, $8 million overall, and it made $16 million uh, foreignly, so it made half of its money in America. Mm -hmm. What was the budget for this movie? I actually don't know the budget. It okay. wasn't listed on anything I ran into. It's also technically... Like, it's not an American film, so no. that's not all that surprising. And I think this film was hampered a bit by the fact of Jeffrey... Paddington 2? Well, definitely Paddington 2, because it was <laughs> fabulous. I realized, okay, now I have to... Earlier today, I was having a discussion about my favorite films thus far of uh -huh. 2018. And I listed Rampage and Instant Family, both... Which are great. I forgot Paddington 2 did come out this year, <laughs> so that's also my top three. But I was going to say Jeffrey Tambor's presence in this film, I think, also hurt it upon its uh, domestic yeah. release. Yeah, because yeah. that was only a couple weeks before that the, the bomb dropped on him. Mm-hmm. Mm. He got me too Yep. So it looks by, like by week three, it had 141 theaters in America uh, at its all-time high it had 548 throughout the world. So, I mean, about a fourth was in America. Mm -hmm. I have some, some really staggering stuff that I, I, I have to show uh, all of you guys here. I took pictures of, of its ratings. So the death of Stalin, for this release of the, the third week, the weekend that it was out there, it came in 19th domestically. It grossed 1 million. And it was directly in between Death Wish and Annihilation hmm? <laughs> for that week. And those were in their fourth and fifth week, respectively. So it wasn't a terribly received movie, but those two movies weren't actually, you know, all that well-received either. I'm going to question these numbers a little bit, because mm -hmm. Death Wish and Annihilation both had wide releases, and Death of Stalin wasn't a wide release either. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it'd be 
and I don't know this number off the top of my head, but like, do you have any idea what the per theater? There was um, they did like a they do a four average theater on the website I was on. Yeah. So the, and it was uh, it was like one ninety nine out of the year, so it wasn't. Yeah, yeah it wasn't, that's not terrible. Yeah, I was surprised by the ratings on Amazon. I went there because it's offered through Amazon, and there are seventeen percent of one star reviews. I was so shocked because I thought this movie was had great acting, had uh, it was funny and and dramatic, well shot. Well shot. And by the way, talking about music, I thought that it was maybe real Russian music from back then, but it actually is by uh, Christopher Willis. He wrote music for Weep, for Veep, <laughs> uh, Mickey Mouse, and Winnie the Pooh. So, Another movie band in Russia. No, <laughs> China. 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 <laughs> Winnie the Pooh's band in China. My mistake. He did a really great job really portraying that, that era, I think. But yeah, 17% of people gave this movie one star. And I started reading through reviews, and a lot of them were saying that it wasn't funny at all. I didn't get it. Why do we care about the death of Stalin? Why is death of Stalin a comedy? Why was there so much violence in the comedy? So I think if you don't know much about Stalin era or about uh, Iannucci's just aesthetic, it is a hard movie to digest. Like if you go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to watch something that is more of a documentary or just drama and you see that there's humor in it, or if you're just going in waiting for a comedy and then you see all of the horrible stuff that's happening, it, it, it's kind of, it can be jarring, I, I think. Yeah, but, if you don't have like a frame of reference of how bad Stalin is or how bad the regime was, it's kind of like you're getting a history on a Holocaust and also a comedy lesson at the same time. Yeah, it's like going in to watch a Holocaust documentary and then it's a comedy, <laughs> you would also be a little taken aback. Mm -hmm. Because it is a very, it is a movie about very difficult, very horrific times. So making it a comedy is a difficult task. I mean, they killed, you know, 1,500 civilians in what was essentially half of a scene. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever they were running over the the line of army men. Yeah, that was yeah. just an afterthought of the entire movie. It was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a terrible event. I'm surprised how well it did in the UK. I really am. Like It did, in the opening weekend, it did $1.3 million. Mm -hmm. And to compare to the highest two other um, foreign openings was... Australia and France, who had 300, 330 to 380,000 opening weekend. Mm -hmm. So you must have huge pull in in Britain. Yeah. But also you look at most of the cast and they're really popular British That's actors. That's true. That's true. So I'm sure they... I, I just feel really like left out because they're all my favorite actors and I just forget that You're like Michael British. Palin is British. Yeah, like I just forget <laughs> like they're not ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Simon Russell Beale did like a really great job and... I, I don't think that oh, he's Barry. Yeah, as Barry. Oh, he was yeah. arguably the best acted, or mm -hmm. most interesting. Yeah. Most interesting. The comedic sensibility in this film is very British. Oh, that's true, think? too. Yeah, yeah we love dark humor. <laughs> we like yeah. dark, pausing humor, like anything that's about death, but also like awkward awkwardness, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. just really strives for us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I think for a lot of Russians, and that's why I wasn't surprised to see a lot of Russians go see the movie here in America, a lot of, especially older Russians, have been through horrific times and uh, difficult times in Russia. And so one of the ways Russians deal with it is through humor, even if it's really difficult things. I also think we need to give props to the casting director. Uh, we looked at pictures of 
most of the people that were in the film, and they did a really, really good job, guys. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Really good job. <laughs> uh, excellent. Even, like, Svetlana, she's not, like, the main character in the movie, but the actress and the actual daughter of Stalin, they look very much alike. Uh, they did an excellent job casting. I don't think Stalin looked all that well. Like, I don't think he looked... I would agree. He yeah. was a disappointment. I, f- I felt like I had seen better Stalin impersonators. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the two people they brought out of the house to kill, that were <laughs> Stalin impersonators, yeah. looked more like Stalin than he did. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I think he did an excellent job playing him because he did seem to be, like, a very foul-mouthed and... Oops. Yeah. In his real life, he did curse quite a bit, and he liked to, like, throw orange peels at people. <laughs> Yeah, and was very foul-mouthed and liked to throw stuff at people. And liked to throw chairs at people, apparently. So I think this guy kind of portrayed that kind of personality pretty well, because we only see Stalin for very little bit. So we, because this whole movie is about the death of Stalin, I think he did pretty good in those couple of minutes of portraying that type of personality. And also he was short, and Stalin apparently was like 5'4". Wow. Really? Um, yeah. No I one. They always just imagine him taller. No one really Same. knows how he's like Tom Cruise. He probably like stood on boxes and stuff. <laughs> but he, yeah, he was short. He was short, and so was I think the actor in, in this, or at least he was portrayed as short. Mm-hmm. I was. We were watching um, a documentary before coming on the podcast, and I was interested to find out that he was actually a pretty big family man. Like all the all the men that were in his cabinet were able to bring their wives over to his house, and they would have huge feasts and party all night but after his wife killed herself he essentially didn't allow any more females into his house and so none of the wives could come back over really Mm -hmm. Mm. that's interesting all right anything else that we want to say about the movie you should go watch it if you haven't it's on amazon like i said you can buy it or rent it buy it because why not watch it multiple times i will (laughs) <laughs> followed by veep which you can watch on hbo yes i highly yeah. recommend you know the death of stalin but based on this movie and the fact that he you know created veep i would recommend all of his stuff i i will try to get through his previous work for sure mm-hmm. yeah oh, um, with your sense of humor and with your interest in politics there's no way you wouldn't find it fascinating I'm I'm very happy that I discovered this movie and then discovered the creator of this movie. Mm-hmm. That's my take main takeaway. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I podcast with my sister who also loves movies and who loves talking about Russia. Um, so we are good film hunting and can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and all places podcasts are found except Spotify. We haven't cracked the Spotify <laughs> algorithm yet, but we will. We will. <laughs> we will prevail. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.